You can go ahead and have a seat. And I'm going to read some verses from Psalm 96. Just listen to these words as you prepare your heart uh, to worship and hear from God's word this morning. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. I was lost and could not see. But you did not give up on me To save me from my guilt and shame You stepped into the world you made And on the cross of Calvary You gave your life to set me free I uh, just want to say a special welcome to you if you're worshiping with us online or if you're here in person for the first time. Uh, we're just grateful for your presence. Thank you for joining with us this morning and uh, worshiping the Lord. I would just invite you to take, if you did get a bulletin, if you're here in person, uh, the bulletins are on the welcome table as you come in, but on the bulletin there, that uh, flap at the end of the bulletin is something you can tear off if you would be so inclined if you're a guest if you would fill that out and put it in the offering box which is on the welcome table as you come in we'd sure appreciate it just to have a record of your attendance we can get a hold of you that way if you're part of our regular church family if you attend regularly that flap is for you too uh, because you can uh, fill it out if you have a prayer request or if you have an interest in getting involved in some way that you uh, would like to express to us, we'd sure be glad for you to do that. So that's a way for you to communicate with us as well. I just appreciate you uh, taking note of that. Uh, I want you to be praying for Elizabeth Westfall. Liz has been in the hospital for a couple of days. Uh, Lord willing, she'll be coming home today, but uh, she's had some, some issues over the time and they've been treating her, so hopefully she'll be coming home Pray for her. Others that you know of, uh, please be in prayer for them as well. And uh, I haven't seen uh, Bate and, and Hannah and uh, the little baby, so uh, good to have you guys with us this morning. We're grateful for, for you to be here too. I'd like you to join me in prayer as we uh, go to uh, the Lord in preparation for the study of His Word. Father, Your Word is a lamp unto our our, 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 our way, a light uh, to guide and direct us, a lamp to our feet and a light to our way. And I pray that you'd open our eyes, uh, that we might behold wonderful truths from it, and that you would work in and through the Word of God uh, to accomplish your purposes, help us to see it for what it is. It's the Word of God and not the Word of men. 
I pray for your guidance and direction as we look into it this morning, that you would use it to not just uh, inform our minds, but to transform our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you know, some of you don't know, that as I grew up, my father was the superintendent of schools at the school I attended. And he made it very clear to me uh, from the outset that if I got in trouble at school, my grief would only get worse uh, when I got home. See, there was an expectation as a superintendent's son that, that I would live in such a way that I would demonstrate respect for him and I would reflect my identity as his son. And in the same way, uh, those of us who are children of God are called to respect in our actions, respect who God is, and then to reflect in our actions our identity as his children. And we've been seeing this in the book of Ephesians, beginning with chapter 4. Chapters 1 through 3 were all about who we are in Christ, and now chapters 4 through 6 is all about how we should live in Christ. And so we're, we're talking about that, but we're supposed to imitate, as uh, Bob opened to us last week, the first 14 verses of chapter 5, that we're supposed to imitate our Heavenly Father and eliminate ungodly behavior that's inconsistent with our new nature as who we are, who we are in, in Christ. And so the gravity of this calling to walk worthy is punctuated for us in verses 15 through 21 of chapter 5. It's who we are supposed to be in Christ. We're supposed to be careful how you walk. And that's followed by the instructions on how we make that happen. Okay, so there's the admonition and then there's the instructions as to how we make that happen. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 15 through 21. If you have your device or if you don't have a Bible underneath the seats around you somewhere, there should be one close. But Paul is issuing uh, commands and he commands us to take three steps that will ensure that we walk as imitators of God and not as imposters of God. To walk as imitators of God, not as, as imposters. And so he says and begins in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Therefore, he says, walk, as, be, walk not as unwise, but as wise. Okay? Making the most of your time, for the days are evil. So then... Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't be drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with wine, which is, and it depends on your version, is dissipation or debauchery, okay? But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks in all things, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in love. Uh, I'm sorry, in, out of reverence for, for, or out of reverence for uh, the Lord or in fear of the Lord. So that's Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. There's three steps we're supposed to take. And interestingly enough, each of these commands begins with a negative prohibition and includes also a positive admonition. 
Okay, so there's a, a negative and a positive, but each one marks out a step for us to take in order to, to guide us in our evaluation of our own lives and then to motivate and inspire us to do what God wants us to do. So I think if we do not walk as unwise but as wise, if we are not foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is, we're not drunk with wine but we're filled with the Spirit, then we're examining our life and then we're changing our life in accordance with God's Word. So we begin with the first one. Don't be unwise, but be wise. And we see the word therefore, and uh, you know, I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say, but we are, the therefore points us back, okay, the therefore points us back to our identity in Christ. If you have your Bibles, you can, you can say, he says, we're now light in the Lord. And this is stuff that Bob covered last week. We are now light in the Lord, and so we're supposed to walk as children of the light. So the therefore points us back to that, but ultimately it points us back to the very first verse of chapter 5, which is to be imitators of God. And so that's who we are. And now, how are we supposed to live? We're supposed to imitate God. The reality of our identity should inspire and inform our activity. Who we are should be reflected in how we live. That's, that's basically as I would understand it. So he says, be careful. Literally, it says, look. That's the, the Greek word is look with care uh, at, at, at your action. You know, look so that you are accurately caring about what you do and be with alertness. Um, I don't know about you, but when I get a credit card statement, I look at it. You know, it's one of the reasons I have an aversion to uh, just automatic uh, bill pay, you know, I, I, because I want to look at the statement and I know that if money's just coming out of my account just because it's supposed to come out every time, I don't look at it. But I look it over. And so Paul is saying, look it over, you know. Be careful, therefore, how you walk. Look at how you walk. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, John MacArthur in his commentary is, I think, correct when he says the world is a spiritual minefield in which every believer needs to be constantly alert to the danger he places in our way. The world is a minefield, a spiritual minefield. We're supposed to be careful how you walk. What does he mean by walk? Well, uh, we, we read Bible words and we kind of assume we know what they mean, but walk means how you live. And is not accidentally that the scripture, especially beginning with chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy. Chapter 4, verse 8, walk how you walk. Chapter 4, verse 17, how you walk. Chapter 5, verse 2, how you walk. Chapter 5, verse 8, how you walk. Chapter 5, verse 15, how you walk. How we live. And so walking worthy is the manifestation of our identity. And so he says we should walk. And so the first step that Paul directs us to take so that our walk matches our talk, so that our life matches who we are in Christ, is, begins with the prohibition, not as unwise. Um, and who are the unwise? Uh, you have your Bible, chapter 5, verse 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral, impure person covetous a man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. So the unwise are the people who 
who deny God and, and live contrary to God's will and God's word and God's way. So don't be that, uh, is basically what he's saying. Don't walk that way. And Bob, I think, masterfully talked to you through last week about the, you know, what is immorality and it's anything that deviates from God's divine plan of uh, intimacy between one man and one woman of, uh, who are married for life. So anything other than that is immorality. Impurity is a, is, it can be a lot of different things, but it's just contrary to God's word. And then uh, there's dishonesty and covetousness. You think about covetousness. Uh, what is covetousness? It's a lust for what somebody else has and a passionate commitment to get it. Okay? It's greed with a different face on it. Okay? And Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, that greed is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. Covetousness is greed. Okay? Some of you had philosophy class in, in college or high school. You know, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Uh, if I lost you there, don't worry about it. Uh, it's just that covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is greed. And these things, immorality, impurity, dishonesty, covetousness, have no place in the life of a child of God. It's just not what we're supposed to do. Um, now, don't raise your hand. How many of you watch HGTV? Don't raise your hand. Don't smile. Don't nudge anybody. Don't elbow them. HGTV plays into our natural tendency for covetousness. Ooh. You know, what's the other one like uh, uh, flip, uh, buy, uh, uh fix it up or flip it or sell it or whatever, you know, all, that, all those shows. It's like, ooh, I wish I had that, uh, that, that kitchen. Um, uh, I wish I had those, you know. And it, it plays into our greed. It plays into our, our covetousness. I want what they got and I'm going to live my life to get it. And Paul says, no, don't walk as unwise but as wise. Now, here's interesting. James has a little different take on what it means to be unwise. He talks about the wisdom that is from above and the wisdom that is from the world. And in James uh, chapter 3, uh, he says the unwise are se uh, pursue selfish ambition and jealousy and arrogance. Okay? That's verses 14 through 16. And... Uh, and it doesn't mean that we can't struggle with those things. I mean, we can struggle with jealousy and bitterness and, and selfish ambition. But, but the, 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 the believer doesn't persist in it. When, we, when I find that I'm jealous or bitter or arrogant, then the believer will be repentant of that. They'll be sorry for that. I don't, I don't want to live that way. doesn't mean I never engage in that stuff. But I, I do that. And so the admonition then is to be wise. And, and we can go back to James chapter 3 because that's where we talk about the wisdom from above. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him what? Show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. And then peace-loving. And then gentle. And reasonable. Full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial. Free of hypocrisy. What a contrast to immorality and impurity and dishonesty and covetousness, the unwise. This is the fruit of 
the Spirit working in, presenting the wisdom from above. Um, I was listening to a, a, a pastor at a conference I was at one time, and he was sharing the heartbreak that he had over a son who had gotten into a life of drugs and, and, and the debauchery and, and you know, just totally rejected his Christian faith. And the, the pastor was distraught, not knowing what to do, and so he took it upon himself. He said, you know what I'm going to do? He found out where his son was at, and so he went to the party house where his son was passed out on the couch and walked over several other bodies to get to his son. It was late in the night, and he walked up to his son, and he knelt down, and his son was passed out or, or asleep, he didn't know what, on the couch, and he whispered in his son's ear. And he said, son, I just want you to know that I love you. And I hope that you will reach out to me. Wisdom from above. Wisdom from above. He demonstrated a a patience and an impartiality and a lack of hypocrisy. He was peace-loving and kind. And this is the thing that God wants us as believers. This is what he wants us to put on. And that son eventually uh, came back to his father. Not only his earthly father, but his heavenly father. It doesn't always work out that way. But he says that there's a reason, he says, that the the wisdom from above, in the wisdom from above, we are to make the most of your time. Or if you read the ESV, the time. The Bible makes it clear, the time. What What is the time? It means a fixed period of time. Making the most of the time that you have on this planet. And you know what? That amount of time is fixed and that amount of time is uncertain. We never know how much time we have. And so he says, make the most of the time that you have. And literally the idea is with the limited amount, we buy it up. It's kind of like we're, we're purchasing that time. Uh, not literally, but we're, we're making the most use of it. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Conduct yourself with wisdom towards those who are outside, making the most of every opportunity. So we live in our minds, if we're walking not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And there's two ditches. I like that Bob had the, had the two ditches last week, so we've got two ditches this week too. Okay, so there's two ditches that you can fall into when it comes to making the most of your time. The first ditch is that of procrastination. Well, I'll get to it later. You know, someday I'll really get serious about my walk with God. Someday I'll really get serious about not living like the world, you know. I'll just put it off and put it off and put it off. Obeying and serving the Lord comes someday when I get ready. You know, it's interesting. There are some, uh, some denominations where they, they expect their, their young people to go out and quote-unquote sow their wild oats and then they'll come back to the faith. Uh, and I've met some of these people and they're like, what kind of hypocrisy is that, you know? Well, here... Here's a a verse for you. In in Luke chapter 12, verse 20, there's this rich guy, and he says, you know what? I've made a lot of money. I'm going to put it all into barns, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, you know, for for long. And then here's what Jesus has to say to him. In Luke chapter 12, verse 20, he says, you fool. Today your life will be required of you, and then who's going to enjoy all that you had? Now, that's my paraphrase, okay? It's not the literal translation. So here's the deal. Procrastination leads us to an uncertain destination. We don't know how much time we have. So we can't procrastinate. The other one is paranoia. Uh, some of you, you know, when I said, you know, we're supposed to make the most of every time, some of you are thinking, oh, wow, 
I wasn't praying to Jesus uh, for every moment since I woke up uh, and, I, and had a bad thought and uh, I, I got upset with my kids on the way to church and I was a little ticked off with my husband because he was in front of the mirror, he messed up the house or he didn't pick up his clothes. Uh, I'm, I'm lost. No. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether then you eat or drink, or in whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that in all of our life, we can be living out this admonition to be walking not as unwise, but as wise. It's, it's, it's everyday stuff in life. It doesn't have to be, well, I didn't share the gospel with every one of my neighbors before I, I, I came to church, or well, I'm not going to do it this afternoon before I, after I get home from church. Or I didn't share the gospel with the waitress at the restaurant, so now I'm bad. Well, no, that's, I mean, uh, we, we probably should be better witnesses and, you know, maybe sure, be sure you leave a tip uh, instead of, uh, you know, just insulting them. But we don't have to be consumed by it. And the, 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 the point is, we redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. That's what the text says. And the fact that the days are evil, uh, in my mind, leads to a couple of different responses. First of all, the days are evil indicates the fact that we live in a, a, a spiritual battle. And the days we live in are evil. It's a spiritual battle. So that should help us with first response would be an urgency of our ministry. In light of the fact we have a number of days, and we don't know how many they are, there should be an urgency with which we live our lives for Jesus. That my life is, is for Jesus from the time I wake up in the morning, even when I'm sleeping. I mean, you know that, right? The psalmist says that the Lord can bless us even in our sleep. That's kind of wild. You think about that. But most of us don't think that because we lay awake at night worrying about what's going to happen the next day rather than going, oh yeah, God's got it. You know, I mean, I'm going to go to sleep uh, because... God doesn't need to stay awake, and I don't need to stay, both of us don't need to stay awake. I'll just let God take care of it, you know? But here it is, there, there should be this sense of urgency. Our days are numbered, and, and we should live on purpose, because we don't know how much longer we're going to be able to live on purpose. I saw this thing, this video this week, about some guy up in the Mall of America. I think it was in the Mall of America. It's Bloomington, Minnesota, right? Mall of America. And he was wearing a t-shirt. And his t-shirt was all about Jesus and, you know, they have this coexist and all this stuff. And he had that crossed out. And he's like, it's all about Jesus. I didn't read all of the shirt. And the mall cops were going to kick him out of the mall because he had a shirt on about Jesus. And he's going, seriously? I'm walking around the mall. And oh, because some people were offended, but you had that shirt on. And I'm thinking, well, what if I'm offended by blue shirts? You know, so I walk around and tell the mall cops, look at all these people with blue shirts, tell them to leave. It offends me, you know. But this is the stupidity of the age we live in. It's a spiritually dark age. And so we don't know how much longer we have a chance. If you're at your workplace, at your school, at, at your place of business, in your home, we need to be living on purpose for Jesus because we don't know how much longer we're going to be able to live on purpose for Jesus without, you know, being locked up sent away or whatever so there's urgency but then the other part of that is think about this in our workplace in in our schools and in our homes and our businesses the amount of profanity the amount of immorality and again remember immorality is 
anything different than there's two genders, a man and a woman gets married, and that's where you have intercourse, and anything else is immoral. That is like archaic stuff to the world in which we live. Any place, and, and you think about the fact that there, there's a rejection of, of objective right and wrong. There, there, you can't have an absolute right and an absolute wrong in the world in which we live. There's a promotion of child promiscuity, abortion, euthanasia, and the pressure to respond leads to the second response. We can have an urgency for the gospel or we can be conformed to the world. The days are evil. So we can respond with an urgency, making the most of our time, or we can conform to the world. And my suggestion is that when believers bend to or blend in with the world's wickedness, it destroys our gospel witness. It destroys our gospel witness. In verses 1 through 14, we're supposed to live not as those who are in the darkness, but that we're supposed to do what? We're supposed to expose the darkness. And why do we expose the darkness? We expose it oh, because we're better than other people. I hope you sense the sarcasm there. No. Because John tells us in John chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 20, he says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Then he says, The one who believes in Him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. We come to present the light of the gospel, expose the darkness so people will repent of their darkness and accept the light and believe in Christ. John 3.19 says this, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So that's why we expose the darkness. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. So folks, this is a gospel issue. If we don't point out sin... People perpetuate in their sin and they'll go to hell. That's what should motivate us to expose the darkness. It's not about me being better than anyone. It's about God's love for a lost and dying world. They'll repent and save. So then, don't walk as unwise but as wise. Don't be foolish but understand God's will. The so then introduces the next step in verse 17 that's needed to engage in this careful walk. The prohibition, don't be foolish. And so here's the admonition, the number one uh, foolishness is to reject God. Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So when we hear, talk about foolishness, what I want to make clear is that foolishness is not here the absence of human wisdom. Hang with me. It's not the absence of human wisdom. It's actually the reliance on human wisdom. Understand that? It's not the absence of human wisdom that foolishness is here. It's the reliance on human wisdom. 
and the rejection of God as a result. And that's Psalm 14, verse 1, okay? And in Romans, uh, you can just write this down. I'm not going to go to it right now. But Romans chapter 1, verses 21, 22 also talks about that they've been blinded in their minds with their foolishness because they're, they're, they're rejecting God, okay? But believers play the fool. We, if you're here this morning and you, or you're listening online and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're not a fool in the sense that you are lost. You're not a uh, Psalm 14, verse 1 fool that you've rejected God, denied God. But we can play the fool. So he says, he's talking to believers here, don't be foolish, don't operate in the world's wisdom. We can be fools when, when we doubt God, right? I can act like a pagan when I'm doubting God. Think Peter, Matthew chapter 14, Jesus walking on the water. Oh Lord, if that's you, bid me come and I'll come and walk. And Jesus says, okay. Peter gets out of the boat, and all of a sudden, whoa, he sees the wave and the winds, and he starts freaking out. And Jesus says to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? What are you going through right now that you're doubting God in? Is God able? Absolutely. And you know it's true in your head, but you're struggling in your heart. And so then our prayer is, Lord, I believe. Just help my unbelief. You know, help me along here. So we play the fool when we doubt. Uh, we also play the fool when we declare ourselves to be God. Oh, and, and we as believers, we get pretty good at that. I know what God wants. I know how God uh, should behave. Or at least professing believers proclaim they know God, I, I saw and was very uh, disturbing to me, uh, a picture of a pastor who was, had a, a, a children's lesson which turned out to be a drag queen story hour in church. Playing God, denying the truth of the Word of God. When we depend upon human rather than divine wisdom, we play the fool. Well, if we can just get so-and-so into office, then everything will be okay. Now, maybe so-and-so should be in office, maybe so-and-so shouldn't be in office, but if I'm trusting that so-and-so getting in office is going to be the bile and end all of my life, and that's what I'm trusting on, whoa, that's not, that's foolishness. We're foolish when we disobey God. I think Galatians chapter 3, uh, actually the whole of Galatians, where Peter, Peter is being uh, admonished, you know, he, Paul admonishes the people and he says, look, you, you began in the spirit, you don't continue in the flesh. So you're going to rely on the flesh to continue on in your life in Christ when you began in the spirit? No, disobedience to God is playing the fool when we desire what God says we shouldn't be desiring. 1 Timothy chapter 6, greed, and we want money. So, you know, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And so when we disobey God, that, that's a problem. And so he says, no, this is, not the way, this is not the way we should go. Caution here against us engaging and supporting the activities that characterize the believers. Don't act like a fool. How, what would you do? We're supposed to understand what the will of the Lord is. Foolishness is not the will of the Lord. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, we're not just talking about intellectual awareness. We're talking about actual putting it into practice. 
in understanding what the, what the will of the Lord is. Uh, my first semester in seminary, uh, it was a new town, new city, different state, didn't know what was going on. I had my car, parked my car on the street, and I got a ticket. And I, there's no sign here, you know, there's no, no parking sign, you know. And so I was confused. I went down to the courthouse or the city, city hall, basically, and I said, I, I'm sorry, I, I parked my, street, my car on the street, and I didn't know why I got this ticket. Because you parked on the wrong side of the road. Uh, I had my, my, you know, if you, you're supposed to, the, the left side of your car is supposed to be, um, uh, well, I don't know, it was wrong. I don't know what it was. I don't know how I'm supposed to park my car. I just know which side of the street to park it on now. But I was on the wrong side. And ignorance was not an excuse. That basically what I'm trying to say, that wasn't a point. So ignorance of the Word of God and disobedience to what we know is the Word of God is not an excuse. We have to understand what the will of the Lord is. That's what God calls us to. And I thought about this. I thought, well, um, how do we know what the will of the Lord is? Some of you remember the message I gave on January 1st. We need to be committed to prioritizing the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the best place to understand what the will of God is. Okay? And I'm not just pulling it out of thin air. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, talks about the importance of the Word of God, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that when your mind is renewed, then the activity that we demonstrate, uh, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. In light of God's mercy, live for Jesus. How do we know how to do that? The Word of God transforms us. And when the Word of God transforms us, it changes our activity. When our activity is changed, then what we do proves the will of God. It proves it. It demonstrates it to the lost and dying world. So the Word of God is what we go to to know the will of God. The perfect and and true will of God. And the will of God is... uh, for us is, is a lot of things. I mean, I don't have time to list all of the things in the Word of God that we're supposed to know as the will of God. But the two biggies are is we're supposed to make disciples, Matthew chapter 28, and we're supposed to grow as disciples. Okay? So you make disciples and you mature as disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. The Spirit of God is also a way in which we know what the will of God is. In uh, John chapter 16, verse 13, uh, Jesus told the, the, the disciples that the spirit of truth would come upon them and they would know what the truth is. They wouldn't have it all together, but the spirit of God would inform them of what the truth is and they would know it. And thirdly, the grace of God. One of my favorite passages in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 9. Colossians 1, 9. Do we have that one, Chad? No? That's fine. I'm in Ephesians. I'm going to turn over to Colossians 1, 9. It says, for, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. What a great thing to pray for people. That you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you might walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Wow. We can know the will of God by the grace of God. If the grace of God comes and pours His heart out onto us, we can know the will of God. And God's will is never, never contrary to His word. Okay? It's never contrary to His word. And sometimes His will involves our submission 
to others. Well, actually it always does. We're going to get to that. Verse 21. But sometimes it also involves suffering. Sometimes it involves suffering. Do not walk as unwise but as wise. Do not be fools but understand what the will of the Lord is. And finally, don't be drunk with wine but be dominated by the Spirit. Verse 18. Drunk means clouded by. It means impaired by alcohol. Okay? He didn't forbid the drinking of alcohol, but he did forbid the domination or being controlled by alcohol in this passage. That's a whole separate sermon. Okay? We can get in there. Okay? Don't crucify me on that statement, but I'd be glad to talk to you about it. But anyhow, that's the point. Uh, It's not a a prohibition, only against excess. Okay? Anyhow, for, for, for that, the reason is because it's debauchery, ESV says. Debauchery, it, it's just not good. Okay, What good comes from drunkenness? Let me just ask yourself that question. And many of you know, and many of you are aware of, many of you have been involved in alcoholic situations, uh, people who had alcohol problems, people who were you know, uh, drunk a lot, people who have seen people drunk. There's nothing good that comes from it. Okay? And so drunkenness, first of all, uh, it epitomizes worldliness. It's, uh, it's condemned repeatedly in scriptures. You can go to Proverbs 20, Proverbs 23. Uh, we'll, we'll tell you about that. And it keeps us from being obedient to God. But I would submit to you that Paul's main concern here, those things are concerned, but his primary concern is contextual. Because the people in Ephesus used drunkenness as part of their pagan worship to heighten their senses, which led them into great and wicked immorality. That was part of their worship service. So Paul is contrasting the perversion of worship through drunkenness and the proper worship through the filling of the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be dominated by the Spirit. That's the admonition is to be Filled with the Spirit. Apart from which, the believer cannot. What's the admonition here? Beginning in chapter 4. Walk worthy of the Lord. With humility. In unity. And love. And as the light. Which is impossible apart from the Spirit of God. Filling and working in and through us. What he requires. He enables. He requires us to walk worthy. Then he enables us with the Spirit of God, to do what He's called us to. Now, the New Testament teaches that uh, the moment, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in a believer. And the very initially, initial residence that He takes up is referred to as the baptism of the Spirit. You can look at John chapter 14, John chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. You can look at those verses and you see that at the moment a person is comes to faith in Christ, they call it the, we call it the baptism of the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to dwell within them permanently. At that point, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, which is different from the way the Spirit of God was working prior to, to Pentecost. You know, the Spirit of God came on Saul, but the Spirit of God left Saul. What's that about? Well, the Spirit of God wasn't permanently indwelling anybody until after Pentecost. But here he talks about the filling of the Spirit. And in fact, he says, be 
being filled. That's how we should translate it. Be being filled because it's a present tense word with a passive understanding, which means there's a continuation. It's continually, it's ongoing that this filling should take place. We, we would be under the control, moment by moment surrender to the Spirit's total control as our orientation, as the orientation of our life. Will we falter and fail? Yes, that will happen. But the deepest longing of our heart and soul is to be submitted to the Spirit of God working in and through us. And the passive aspect just means we don't do it, it's done to us. Okay? Um, think about a baseball uniform, okay? Uh, Nolan Ryan, one of the greatest pitchers ever, right? Ever in the, well, you, you, some of you go, I don't know, I don't care. Well, anyhow, he, he was one of the greatest pitchers ever, all right? But his uniform is, is like a believer. It can do nothing unless it's filled by the person. We cannot do anything unless we're filled by the Spirit. We don't make the decisions. We don't, uh, we don't control the outcome. No. The, the Spirit of God does it in us. The uniform doesn't get credit. Uh, the uniform is, has a designated purpose, purpose uh, but it's only valuable when the person, i.e. the Spirit in the analogy, is filling it. Okay, And verse uh, 19 uh, starts with the several manifestations. There are several in uh, uh, English language or grammar. They're called participles, uh, which means that they're modifying what it means to be filled by the Spirit. They're manifestations or evidence of the filling of the Spirit. And so he begins there with, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So if we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to make music. He didn't say you make good music. You just make music. And we make music corporately, you know, uh, corporate worship that edifies other believers. I don't know about you, but when I come uh, on Sundays, it's, it's a blessing to me to be surrounded by other people who are lifting their praises to God. It edifies me. It builds me up. It encourages me. And if you stand far enough away from me, it will edify you. And also privately, personally. And he says, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord in a way that exalts God. So we both edify believers and we exalt God in, with heartfelt worship. So now all of us, well not everybody, I don't know, I didn't look around too much. Uh, we, we were singing, right? With your heart or just your head? You see, we can sing and go through the motions, but a spirit-filled person sings with their heart in corporate worship. That this is a, a praise that's lifted to God, serving Him. Psalms from the Psalter, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my lips. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. 
Let us exalt His name together. That's Psalm 34. He has put a new song in my heart, a song of praise to our God. Many will hear and will fear and will trust in the Lord. Alan read Psalm 96, right, Al? Psalm 96. Psalm 95. All through the Psalters is this exalting and lifting our praise to God. Do we do that? Psalms and hymns, which are, are probably just other songs that are based on the Scripture, that maybe, I don't know, possibly point people more to the finished work of Christ. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, so as long as it's theologically correct and it's directed towards God, then it's probably okay. All right? In our hearts to the Lord. Not perfect harmony, necessarily. Praise God. So you can be filled with the Spirit, singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that'd be totally off-key. Because it's with your heart. Now, it's better if there's more people on key, but it's great that we can worship God this way. And what's fascinating to me is, okay, that's the manifestation of the Spirit. What's the means whereby we're filled with the Spirit? What does that actually mean? How does that actually happen? Well, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, there's a parallel here. And I'm going to read, and if you have your Bibles, it might be good if you turn there. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Because here, Paul says this, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching, uh, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, so why do I get excited about that? Because... The same things that Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 are a a result, a manifestation of the Word of God richly dwelling within us are the same things that Paul said in Ephesians are the manifestations of the Spirit. So being filled with the Word is to be filled with the Spirit. To be saturated with God's Word such that His priorities and His passions, and His promises dominate our existence, that's what being filled with the Spirit is. is the Word of God controlling us and moving in and through us so that moment by moment we're allowing His Spirit, the Spirit of God, using the Word of God to make the man or the woman of God more like the Son of God. And it's akin, if we look back at chapter 1, verse 23, the fullness of the body. Chapter 3, verse 19, that you might have the fullness of God. Chapter 4, verse 13, the fullness of Christ. Here, 518, the fullness of the Spirit. It is that we are captivated by and we are controlled by the Godhead. And He is in us and through us and, and about us. And that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit so that our songs and our voices raised in praise are an expression of what's in our heart. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. I've, I've said it before. Uh, the last part says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in my heart is the truth of the Word of God that captivates me and that controls me. The passions and purposes and, and promises of Christ are in me so that I'm, I'm yielded to the Spirit moment by moment. Singing with thankfulness in my heart to God. What do I have reason to be thankful for? 
Remember Jesus sent the disciples out to, to cast out demons and heal the sick people, and they all came back, they had a huddle, you know, had a debriefing after the mission trip. So they came back after the debriefing, and they're like, whoa, man, they were all juiced up. People, we're casting out demons, people rising from the dead, we're healing people, all this stuff. And Jesus says, don't, don't get excited about that, but get excited about the fact that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's a, that's a real paraphrase of Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Okay, there it is. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Folks, that's why we sing. Because we are his children, and we're headed for glory. And this is a temporary place, and we're living in the in-between. In God's marvelous mercy, He has not given us what we deserve. He has given us what we do not deserve. That's mercy. He's given it to us. And this, this heartfelt thanks, thankfulness is further evidence of the Spirit's filling. If we look at verse 20, because what does He say? Always giving thanks in all things. Oh boy. <laughs> That's a verse for you. Always. Woke up this morning giving thanks, even though it hurt to get out of bed, even though you got up earlier than you wanted to because the kids were screaming, even though the sun wasn't up yet, yes, in all things, always in all things, because, and, and, and it's further evidence of the Spirit's feeling because in gratitude comes naturally, and gratitude for only what is good for me, what profits me, what prospers me, what I personally like, that comes natural. But to give thanks in always, in all things, doesn't come natural, it's supernatural. When it's cold outside, when an investment turns out to be good, when the price of eggs goes through the roof, When a loved one passes. When a child is adopted. In disaster, disease, and difficulty, disability, deformity, always give thanks in all things. That's evidence of the Spirit's filling in our lives. We're dominated, controlled, and captivated by the truths of God's Word that supersede my circumstance. Some of you remember the story about Micah Tuttle, our mission, one of our missionaries that we support, uh, telling the story about this young guy that he took with him to Peru, and the young guy had been just recently diagnosed with cancer, and the young guy said, you know what, I just thank God that he's given me the opportunity, he's chosen me to give cancer to, so that I can be a testimony to the world. Always giving thanks in all things. And now how is that possible? Look at the text. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in our lives is to be viewed in light of our union with Christ. And in Christ we are saved from sin and condemnation. From His wrath. In Christ we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In Christ we are strengthened. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or think according to his power which works mightily within us. To him be glory in the church. We're strengthened through our union with Christ by God the Father. We are also secure in Christ. Romans chapter 8, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Neither death, nor life, nor, or, nor any other created being is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're set to reign with Him. One day, this world will pass. And those of us who know Christ will be caught up to be with the Lord in the air and we will reign with Him forever. That's the hope we have in Christ. So in, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can give thanks. We give thanks also. Now who do we give thanks to? Look at the text, verse 20. To God. To God who is the Creator. To God who is the supreme and sovereign ruler over every circumstance of life, I give praise and thanks to God because of who He is. And then He says, even the Father. Oh, I love that. The Father, the Father who chose us. The Father who adopted us. The Father who forgave us. The Father who sealed us with His Spirit of promise, the loving, tender, gracious, good, and loving God of the Father who, who did all this for us. He empowers us for service. He gifted us to serve Him. This is the Father. We give thanks to Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God who is supreme and sovereign, the Father who is loving and caring and has our best interests in mind, even when we say, what in the world is going on? You know, the University of Georgia football team won the national championship game, and after the game, uh, Coach Kirby Smart said that uh, the key to their success is that none of our players feel entitled. They don't feel entitled. No, they are supremely grateful. And this is the evidence of the final manifestation of the Spirit's work, which is mutual submission in chapter 5, verse 21. So be subject one to another in humility, serving and loving and giving and caring for one another. Don't feel entitled. Believers don't feel entitled because we all feel like, why me? And we serve in, out of reverence for Christ, out of fear for Him. You know, I mean, most of us, if we're honest, we're like, well, I don't really fear you, you know? I'm not really all that scared of you. You know, I don't have that. But Christ, out of reverence for Christ. We got this guy that uh, has his dog on the trail quite often. And he's, it's, I think it's a lab. And uh, he doesn't have a leash on his dog. I ride my bike by there and he goes, heel. That dog just comes over and sits down by him and watches me riding my bike by. That dog has reverence for his master. And out of reverence for our master, we are to submit ourselves to one another, which is a beautiful lead-in. We're going to get to that beginning next week. It's a beautiful lead-in as to how we walk the walk, how we manifest our love for Christ, imitate Him, and love one another in relationships, which is all chapter 5, verse 21, through chapter 6, verse 9. 
But this is the manifestation. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a fool, according to the Bible. Destined for hell. And the scripture says your actions prove you're outside of the kingdom, but it's not too late. You can repent of your sins, turn and trust what Jesus did on the cross as the payment for your sins. And if you accept him as your Lord and Master, you can be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life. Don't wait. And if you're here and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, take care how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, because in the wine is excess or dissipation and debauchery, speaking to one another. Come, speak to me with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks in all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, being subject to people is kind of like a good idea until I'm asked to be subject to somebody. You ever notice that? I mean, somebody asks you to do something. What are you asking me for? You know, voluntarily submitting to one another. And so, what a, what a blessed way to understand that our identity is in Christ than to remember how it is we are in Christ through the taking of the bread and and the juice that reminds us that his sacrifice paid the price. We're sobered by the price that was paid that we could be in. But you know what else? We should have great joy at the pardon that we have received because of what Christ did. And so in that vein, I pray that you would spend a moment or two, search your heart. If there's sin in your life that you know you need to confess, do that. And as the praise team comes and as the song are, are, are played, you feel led by the Spirit of God. I want you to feel free, as you're, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, to get up and come to one of the tables in the back or the front and take the bread and the cup as a sober reminder of the price that Christ paid and as a celebratory act of the pardon you have received. Let's pray. Father. By your grace, I pray that you would work in every person who doesn't know Christ, that they would see the marvelous gift that they have available to them and they would receive it by grace through faith. And I pray that those of us who know you would be careful how we walk. In Jesus' name, amen.